I'll take a melody. Where did that come from? Back in New Orleans, uh, and how that? I wish I could. I was hoping you could take us through that. Well, I wrote that bug guy named Frankie Miller. He came from Scotland. A very soulful guy. Very interesting. They put together the way to say his origin and the way he sounded when he sang. Uh, and uh, I wrote it for him to sing. And uh, it was the uh, the song is about uh, whatever comes your way. Uh, uh, you can music has a healing effect. I'll take a melody and see what I can do about it. Uh, that not only means to write a melody, but just to take one on to your heart. And uh, and because someday all will be known, uh, but not yet. So in the interim, uh, uh, rely on as music. Right, man. Oh, that's gorgeous, man. Did you? I'm trying to get an understanding. Uh, one of the guys, you know, I've interviewed all these session drummers from the West Coast, like Hal Blaine and Jim Keltner and these guys. And uh, but the one guy that um, I talk about, uh, I'm just I'm trying. Or is Earl Palmer? And I, I'm trying to figure out when the first time you guys connected and uh, and and the kind of music that you were playing uh, uh, at that time. Earl Palmer King. Uh, he could certainly wear a crown. Uh, <laughs> he, of course, he was he was the guy. Uh, he was one of the early guys who put us on the map. Uh, as the, as you probably know, he played behind those early uh, Dave Bartholomew recordings, and then on to the Richard era, and of course even before that Roy Brown. But through all of those Tutti Fruities and Good Golly Miss Mollies, that was Earl Palmer before he migrated out to California. Uh, of course, when he went out to California, he, he did even greater things out there because uh, he, was, he was in the midst of greatness out there and they recognized who he was right away. Uh, it was, it was, I was on her about 17 when I first uh, played uh, in the studio with Earl Palmer. I was called in to play on the recording session and that clan of, of uh, Earl Palmer, Red Tyler, and Lee Allen, Frank Fields on bass, Justin Adams on guitar. That was the sort of studio clan. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I played song with Earl Palmer. Of course, I knew about him long before then. So I was in Hogs Heaven, you might say. Like you guys felt this, just wanted to feel feel the music. I mean, there was oh, no... Yeah. Right, I mean, because it was so great. Mr. Susan, you know, I... I uh, you know, I, I, I'm just, it's just such an honor to talk to you, man, because uh, what a trendsetter you were for so many uh, of the cats that I've interviewed on my program. And I just, you know, I wanted you to spend a minute talking. Uh, you can relate it to um, the, pres the, the current tour with the Preservation Hall Band um, or just in your life, uh, the qualities of effective leadership, unorthodox leadership. What what are some of the traits that you can pass along the wisdom about leadership to future future children? Well, uh, for one thing, uh, if I was speaking to uh, future uh, musicians, uh, people, young people who are interested, I'd always say try and expose yourself to as much of what has already gone by. Not that you have to live there daily, but 
but trying to expose yourself and surround yourself with positive people and good people mm-hmm. and harbor good thoughts for one thing. All that is the reflection of what's in your reservoir when you begin to present your music or write your music or deliver it in any way. And uh, again, there's so much to, to be learned about exposing yourself to some of the things that has happened before you. Uh, that has always been uh, uh, a proven gift to to go back. Even the earliest jazz musicians, uh, they used to go back even to Bach mm-hmm. and Brahma to collect as much as what has happened in your field as possible. And of, of course, practice, 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 and and don't let the applause uh, confuse you too early. And, and it's all about the journey because it's a forever journey. At a certain point in your career, you had to really advocate for yourself as a black musician in New Orleans to get copyright. Correct me if I'm, I would like you to just talk about the the intestinal fortitude that it t- to overcome. You know, part of my show is about inspiration. And, and 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 to me, that's that's an inspiration is that you were able to gain copyright at oh, that yeah. time. And oh. I want I wanted to know what you did at that time to get to get through that because it could not it must not have been easy. Uh, music business wasn't always taken as big a business as it is now. In fact, it wasn't taken as business at all to some musicians because some of us were so busy having a good time playing music we didn't think business. But business was going on and getting started to be big even then. So many odd and strange things happened back there. Like early on, I can remember writing songs, and when the song would probably finally be released, there'd be four or five other names on there with my name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I must say that I was naive enough to, if not naive, I was grateful enough to be glad to be out at all. So, and also by business, music business not being taken as seriously, some of the people who were talent scouts and getting music done could not afford to pay the other peripherals that it took to make it, like the studio owner or the engineer. So sometimes they used to say, well, you can share in the royalties, so if it happens, you can fund some keep that way, because I can't afford to pay you for your Right. But I, I understood that very early. So even even when I saw that happening, I didn't take that too much as an offense to myself because I understood that this is the way that to get this out there. And if it takes that, I wanted music so bad that it was fine with me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even frown upon it. I was very glad to be doing what I was doing. And if this is what it took at that time, being a young a young guy, that was fine with me. So I, I I truly understood it, and it was wasn't it wasn't that people were crooks or anything. It was uh, some good people uh, many many times and most times uh, involved with me that uh, maybe other names might wind up on something because that's what it took to have them involved by whoever was the person hiring them all. But that was uh, that wasn't very long lived by me. But I'm saying that to say that that did happen with many people, and it happened even with me. But very soon I got with a, a company that I became their permanent party, and my uh, music and 
copyright, at least royalties, was handled properly. It was written by me and me and, and only me, and it would come back that way. So uh, I enjoyed that very early on, and I could get on with making up the music. But but I, I I'm just trying to get back to this idea of feeling. You know, I went back. I opened up about the the burlesque clubs because I feel like there was like a. a a looseness. There was a blues within the music that uh, that came, that came from the street element of the music. Oh and, yes, you know. Well, and I wanted you to talk about that. Well, definitely. Uh, and being uh, born and raised in New Orleans, I, I was full of the nourishment of the New Orleans feel and everything about it. Uh, music seeping up out of the street feels like it. Uh, and of course, we we did have a, a gentleman who was way ahead of, of most others, Dave Bartholomew. Though we were having a good time uh, as kids, my, uh, like myself and many others, right, long in my age, Dave was a bit older and already in business and and making, uh, selling thousands and million sellers from time to time. Mm. Uh, so he was a good influence on us. But boy, the music... We heard a lot of gospel a lot. And I must say, as a boy, I heard a lot of hillbilly music on the radio. And uh, when I started playing piano, I thought if you play piano, you, have to, you should be able to play everything you heard a piano play a thing. <laughs> so I didn't know that you're supposed to specialize yet. But I do know that I had a definite love for boogie woogies and blues. Uh, late at night, I would uh, hear a lot of blues on the radio, and that just was so soulful. And gospel music, especially Baptist Sanctified, that was magical and so rich because it was done for its own purpose, not not to be soul or anything like that. Uh, it was a very rich uh, uh, musical scene where I came up. The, when the music that Mm-hmm. Their music wasn't made to be commercial records. They mm-hmm. weren't making their music. They were making it because of the subject matter. So, of course, they were singing strictly from the soul with no ulterior motive about whether I'm going to make a hit or not. It, 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 they just sung because in the direction that the spirit moved. Them. And that means the blues, the boogies, the rock and roll, the world, rock and roll wasn't said like that yet. But in the lyrics, How long uh, have you known? Do you have? Did you ever play with Ellis Marsalis? Well, we both play piano, so <laughs> that's right. No, but I mean, I heard. You know, I I, I talked to a, a great keyboardist out in Los Angeles, and he remembers. He said it was crazy because he saw you on stage uh, with with Doctor jo- with Mac Rabinac. You know, so oh, it, yeah. you know, so like it's not unheard of with with Tucson. You know. Well, me and Ellis has been on, we've been on the stage together at Tipitina's in New Orleans. And that was wonderful because Ellis is just a marvelous musician in every, in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Intellectually, soulfully, street and every other way. But yes, we have played together uh, a couple of times only. Uh, one was at Tipitina and one was at a, a, a short video we did of a Professor Longhair song, and he or I never know, never knew what happened to that piece. But yes, I did play along with Ellis, and uh, 
I felt I felt I was among robbed. I'll have to send it to you in an email. It's just a brilliant thing. But the point is that you came up there and you had to rewrite you, you, you so the, the the tape the tape deck you used were the it was batteries were slow and so everything was written out like if it was supposed to be in G it was actually in F sharp and Howard was like everybody knew the next day that it was kind of off you know but uh, the band uh, the band was like we will uh, rewrite uh, this tonight and uh, we'll just play it in this key and at that point I was like wow you know th- these guys y- you were a mentor to them, but also like a bridge in that sophistication of being able to play on the spot all the time. And I just was wondering if you could, your memories of the Academy of Music and uh, and, and how you actually originally connected with Levon Helm. Well, it was all about Robbie Robert. He was the one who called me. Before then, I had arranged the horn for Life is a Carnival. And one other song that was uh, quite a while before the Rock of Ages album, which I went up and did. What we're speaking of now. You did Life is a Carnival. Oh yes. Oh man. Ah, oh, bless you. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, but uh, so Robbie. Okay, I'm interested in this in this connection. Yeah. Robbie. Robbie Robinson uh, found me in New Orleans, and he uh, wanted me to come up to write uh, on arrangements for a couple of songs. And I went and met him, and at the Gramercy Park Hotel, in fact. New York, and uh, it was Life as a Carnival was the song, and uh, I got right to it, and I did. It was a very interesting thing that happened when I first heard it, and uh, it was quite different music, and I would say not not just different from my music, but different from other things that were out there. And when I first heard that intro, it was kind of hard to place exactly where the one was, and I thought, how wonderful, let me hurry up and start writing before I find out where the one is, because then I might get too, too stuck. I don't want to be stuck. And, uh, but anyway, I did, that's the first thing I ever did with them. I wrote the Ranger for Life is a Carnival, and one other song, which escapes me now. And it was much later that I went back and did uh, this, uh, the album, what we're speaking of now. Well, I mean, so you, you, life is a carnival. Were you up? Were you up at Big Pink for that? Because, and I'm just trying to get the time, like the time reference there, because, uh, just, just the idea, like, of uh, uh, bringing in, uh, elongating the sound. So, Robbie Robertson. When was the first time you met him, though? How did he find? Was it that through who? How did you guys connect? Well, that was the first time he found me in New Orleans. I didn't know who he was. Even when I went up to meet him, I didn't know who he was or who they were yet. Uh, but he called me in New Orleans. And the way he found me was he called the sheriff department. I don't know how that tied in, but <laughs> he called the sheriff department. And the sheriff found me and said, it's Robbie Robinson want to uh, get in touch with you. Well, the sheriff called. Uh, I'm glad he hurried up and said what, it, what was the nature of his call. But anyway, uh, that was the first time I had heard of Robbie, or either heard, and even heard of the band, and went up to meet him in New York. And I remember Mike, Mike uh, Paula, I think that's his last name, the guy who played in Bonnie and Clyde. He used, he used to hang out with them at that time, and he was at the meeting that I met with Robbie. And, and there with Robbie was Levon Helms, who was a marvelous, marvelous, 
Can you talk about? Absolutely can you not. can you uh, can you talk about your your relationship with, with Levon and any musical collaborations? Uh, oh. did, did you did he ever do? Did he come to see Saint? Well, uh, he came down to New Orleans, but he he hadn't he didn't record in Sea Saint. But uh, I met Ron, uh, when I met him during Life of the Congo time. We hit it off right away. For one thing, he was just so very glad that I was from the South. For one thing, that was a biggie with he and I. Mm-hmm. So we we dearly loved that, and we played on it quite a bit. And uh, his playing was so much his very own, like no other drummer. He has nothing to do with any other drumming or drum style. It's his very own, and it talks very loudly. But uh, he was a very sweet guy, and also uh, the way he his whole he had a whole way of life that evolved around him. He was a, a nucleus of a way of life. There was satellites that went around him that was absolutely wonderful. But anyway, about again about the life of the carnival. Yeah, I went back. I went back up much later to do that, and uh, what happened is my bag got lost. I had written arrangements in New Orleans, but my bag had gotten lost at the airport. Someone picked up the wrong bag. <laughs> the bag that I picked up looked just like mine. And when I got all the way to Woodstock, I said, well, uh, I discovered that I had the wrong bag. Oh, my. There, was, there was no way to retract that, so they gave me a cabin. Uh, out in the woods, out in the in the trees, those trees all around, and I had a cabin with a one uh, uh, all windows with no shades on them, a long room, and one room in the back where I put on a pair of pajamas and began writing these arrangements over and over, over again. And that was the best thing that could have happened because I was writing these arrangements then where I should have been writing them. Mm-hmm. In the place where they were created, up uh, in up in that part of uh, upstate New York, and it snowed outside, and it was absolutely beautiful, and all went very well. That day, uh, that just floored me, man. That that's an incredible. Uh, how I wanted to ask you about this, like what you, you got you you and Levon got off on the south. Can you? But I mean, as I'm from New York. I live in Arizona. I want you to talk about that importance of being from the South. What? Why is that significant for you? Why is it played up by you guys? Well, I guess it was played up because Levon made—he was so happy about it, <laughs> and it's something that I didn't think about very much. But uh, apparently, he thought about it, mm-hmm. and uh, and I liked the way that felt communicating with. I like for one thing I like the way he sounds speaking but uh, the zeal he had about uh, where we are from and about the music and every time he talked it was with that with a joy and a zeal about it I, and I found it so comforting to be with Levon very comfortable do you feel uh, what when you look back at, at uh, is C, what is what is what is C Saint today? What do you have going on there now? C Saint is no longer. Uh, Katrina took uh, all of the uh, nourishment out of C Saint, so C Saint ended with hmm. Katrina. Wow. Uh, we had a, a lot of wonderful things there. Of course, 
Gail? Oh, yeah. I produced an album uh, called uh, A Touch of Silk on Eric Gale. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? That's so cool, man. You know, um, there's a great, uh, a great live Little Feet show uh, where Paul Barrera is trying to remember uh, some of the songs and Lowell George that you've written. And, you know, one of them's, uh, you know, working in a coal mine and riverboat. And I, I to me, man, it was it, it. All those got all those casts are the guys that I've gone after. You know, I was born in '78. I was born way way after this period of time. So for me, yeah. this is this is going this is promoting that that love. That's really at the end of the day, Mister Tucson. I, 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 I just want you to talk about the importance of love, how it correlates to group music, that holistic. Oh yeah. I, because that is the key. Uh, you know, I, you know. I just think that you guys are often you communicate through your instruments. So I just. Why don't you take the floor on that? And from a musician, from Lowell George, that's the, he's like the epitome of the love in the music. Uh, his, his, uh, his love and respect for the music was just phenomenal and, and so upfront at every moment, at every time. And so darn hip. I mean, I don't know anyone on the planet was any more hipper than old George. However, he he also had the wisdom of a much older uh, being. Mm-hmm. He, he was really a, a kind-hearted guy. And, but it was all about his heart and love first. There was, there was a time and a moment in my life when we were on tour together with old, I was with old George right after Southern Nights I had a real uh, down moment, and but he and he gave me, and he was a bit younger than I, but he gave me some comforting words that I badly, badly needed at just the right time, and it was just enough. And I'm forever grateful for that, and for him to be such a young and hip guy, but to have to have that kind of soul and spirit and care. What did he say? What he? What was? The, was it just keep? What did he say? I can't tell you. I lo- I, I respect it completely. I I, I uh, it is beautiful uh, to uh, to 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 bounce back, uh, having younger people that are sages. I think that's actually a, a extremely fascinating. I mean, how how has the music industry? Uh, where do you the music industry for you? I mean, are you able to uh, basically create your own stuff, or or how? And how do you? How has it changed? Because it seemed to me the chronicling of the period that I love so dearly um, was uh, the, there was a market. Uh, it seemed that the producers really uh, kind of understood the craftsmanship of the musicians. 
and, uh, and allowed that freedom within the studio. You hear that within the music. And I wonder if you noticed a certain period of time within the music that uh, there was a noticeable change uh, and whether we oh. just, I, I just, it would be, I, I've pinpointed like, maybe like, but I, <laughs> I would like to ask you, sir. Well, yes, uh, definitely. I'm not one to say what's for the better for the worse, but change, oh, yes. And there's some uh, very obvious elements. For one thing, technology is always speed. And, uh, and as, a, as a new technology would come, even the pace of the next begin to speed up. And it's at an all-time high even now. Technology had a lot to do with everything about the cycles of the music, even the tuning of the instrument, uh, the tempos of the, of the instrument. Uh, and I, I remember you say, I heard you say something about click tracks even. Mm-hmm. But uh, technology and, and the recording apparatus uh, and the, the peripherals that goes around the music. And also uh, television and the medium that could turn on turn the whole world onto the same thing at the same time was another element. It, it sort of uh, put everyone into one great big bowl as opposed to section and this section and that section. And also, it could turn it all on at the same time. Uh, so uh, sometimes identities begin to be unimportant. Is this uh, trend? Trend became more important. Uh, a worldly trend, a national trend, became more important than this area and that area and the other. Uh, and I'm, again, I say these things are not necessarily better or worse. I, you know, I, I really, I, I, I'll tell you, I, I really, I'm gonna, I'm gonna borrow that from you if that's okay, because I like that. It's a very, oh, okay. it, just, just but, not making a judgment. Not making a judgment. But, uh, yeah, those things had uh, uh, quite a bit to do with it. And again, I say even the tuning of instruments, uh, because uh, things became so, you read a meter to get things done, whereas you used to read your heart. And then uh, some of that, what you found in the tuning, was, it's what made you, you. But after a while, we begin to look at a needle. And when it, comes up, everyone sees that same perfectly A440, and now we're ready to go. And I'm not saying that it would be good to play auto-tune, but uh, auto-tune isn't always auto-tune. Explain, yeah, auto I, all right, I really, you know, for myself, I, I think, uh, I love that saying, but, you know, it. What what meaning is that, what does that mean? Well, it's just that... Uh, once you begin to operate on this very thin straight line and that was uh, that now we're ready to go. You're ready to go because that dictated that it's ready to go. Now that is correct that it is totally in tune, but you're, you're, if you're not careful, your life can become that way, your life of music. But I think everyone, of course, should always tune up and tune up perfectly. But I'm saying <laughs> the difference is when, when, right. it became, when it became a, a thin rule and, and the tempos uh, 
not, you need to speed up a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm not saying what's better or worse. I'm just saying that there's a difference in what happened. I love what's going on now uh, because with the technology as it has moved, it's like trash in, trash out. What are we doing with it? And I think the young people who are making music now with all of the wonderful technology is using it to its best and get wonderful music in the staircase of our evolution. Do you is there a market is there a marketplace for it or has that because I mean I, I mean there were so many uh, you had your own record label uh, can you talk about that early incarnation of that label to me that is the existence of of a period of time when the cost of living in America balanced out perfectly with uh, the middle class and even upper middle class and, and to me it's like this is just brilliant that you guys cooked up that New Orleans label. Well, uh, our record label was, uh, if you're speaking of, uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether you're speaking of Minute or whether you're speaking minute, of Minute, Minute, Minute. Okay, Minute was uh, Lab McKinley and Joe Banishak, and of course I was the music person. They were, one was a disc jock and one was a distributor. Uh, that was a fine time. We had a wonderful time. Again, they were the business folk, and I was all about making music. Fortunately, they were very, they were honest people with me, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be connected with them early on and, and got off to a good foot in the business. That's uh, during the days of mother-in-law and stuff like that. And we had a very good time back there. Later on, I got with Marshall Sehorn during the meters days, and Lee Doss's days and uh, with Sansu Records and C Saint Studio. And uh, Marshall was a, a go getter kind of person. But he was the business person, and I was, again, making music. I'm a, I'm a music person much, far more than uh, business. But I'm glad I had enough uh, uh, luck or either whatever it takes to surround myself with. Um, yeah, no, I think that, that it, it is, the, the, uh, looking back on, on, on the, on your creative career as it still evolves, when did you have the biggest growth in your life? I mean, I, I've come to realize at 36 that, you know, like I'm going through a, a huge growth spurt now. And I think it's important because society also will put you in that box where we'll say, you know, you're supposed to be at a certain point here, a certain point there. But you ride that roller coaster of life. And you tap into your true nature. And you take off. And, you, and you're and you already on the, I mean, you're, you've already climbed the mountain. You're over, man. But I'm up. And, and I'm getting there. I see it. And I want other people to see it, too. So I want you to talk, you know, um, life force from Mr. Toussaint. You know, I, I mean... Yeah. Well, well uh, the best I can do with that is <laughs> I, uh, I remember being 14 years old and I I turned on the I took a moment on my birthday on the, I turned to the left of the piano and uh, sit on the stool and I thought that I will check every 
feel like you understood uh, what was your understanding of Congo Square? Oh, Congo Square. Well, well, we know about the slave blocks and all that. Well, I'm really curious. I would I just want to know about the the this the communication of it aspect and then also was it in fact, you know, something where once uh, the once slavery, they cracked down. From, they bought it from the French in the Louisiana Purchase. I, I, I really, this to me is a very interesting thing. I would just like to know uh, that that history, how well it's understood. Do you think also, um, yeah. and is it significant? Yeah. I couldn't say that I, I am any more versed on it than anyone else who read whatever is written about it. <laughs> of course, you know. That no, you don't have to preface it anymore. I, I, we all take you for that word, but sir. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, I just know it uh, historically like anyone from anywhere who ever read about it again because it was long before my time. But uh, that, like everything else, I think uh, it's a part of the romance of getting this great country started and rolling. So I see it as a, a very important part and it doesn't have to be forgotten or thrown away. It's just... Uh, Exactly, and I'm just trying to figure out in your earlier in your upbringing was that something that was passed along to you more definitively than it is as we get farther away from that time. Yeah, I, I didn't hear anything about Congo uh, Square until I was old enough to uh, decide to hear something about it. 
Right, right. So tell me, what, you, what, 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 like, for your creativity, like you said, at, 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 at up at uh, at the cabin, you you wrote out all those charts for the uh, the performance in nineteen Rock of Ages. Um, oh, yeah. uh, what when you think of Tucson or you think of Arizona, uh, what come, has, did any create, creativity ever occur in the state of Arizona? No, I never think about it because it's quite a far removed from T O U S S A I N T. <laughs> wow but I mean are can you talk a little bit about the kind of show it's going to look like uh, when, 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 is that where you're from Arizona yeah well I mean I'm going to run this 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 interview tomorrow live on the radio on my radio yeah. show so uh, well, well my my little pun trying to be humorous well, sometimes some uh, folks ask me Tucson like it's related to my name. No, I didn't, no, because you know, I when I interviewed Doc, when I interviewed Mac Rebenack, he was always talking about the the influence of the of the beautiful uh, swamps and the and the forests and the trees and the in the South. So, like, I know you guys get off, most of the time you get off on imagery. So I, I you know, like I, I and. I know you wrote a whole bunch of so- songs from in, in, living in New Orleans, but I just wonder if anything ever inspired you in Arizona, anywhere, you know? Oh, well, we, I like everyone. Every, most people love Arizona. There's something about it uh, that seems large. Uh, but uh, I don't know a lot about Arizona, but uh, I feel the same way as many people that I hear when you say Arizona. Uh, and First uh, name you think of is Tucson, Arizona, and and again I I, I say that I made that uh, small humorous. <laughs> no, I I, I got no. But you think people think of Tucson before Phoenix? Oh well, yeah. Uh, how about Phoenix? Yes, Phoenix. Well, I must say that song helped Phoenix out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> by the time I get, to, don't say by the time I get to Tucson. Yeah. Did you? Um, I know what you mean. Did but you? I think of, of course, I think of Tucson, Arizona, because it it does uh, have a ring somewhere near my name. Uh, so I, I, when I think of Arizona, I think of think of Tucson first, then uh, Phoenix and wherever else. Did you um, did you collaborate with Isaac Hayes? Oh no, not at all. But I've been, I went on his radio show, and I knew <laughs> Isaac. You knew Isaac. I just knew you brought up. By the time I get to Phoenix, I, I know I'm familiar with his 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 name. Just popped into my head. But did you ever collaborate with the the West Coast soul guys like Barry or any of those? Like I mean, because you, you were you were a Titan, but at the time that was just the, the regionalism. Like when you talk about the South, uh, you know, Levon being happy to be part of the South. Part of that was because the rest of the band was from Canada. I'm sure he liked that. But yeah. also, yeah. like like you know. Uh, I mean, you guys still stuck in your home bases, and there was more of I—I I, I don't want to say brother, but the, there was just these regional pockets of music that were just dwelling at this time. But did you ever hit? Yeah. Did you ever cross those other cats, like you know Bill Withers or Booker T, or all, you know any of those cats? Like, I mean, you must have crossed paths with them. Oh yeah, well yeah, I, I certainly did run into uh, guys like that, and like I said, with even with Isaac Hayes, I remember when he was really hot. 
and he was quite a movement, quite a movement. Yeah. I was highly impressed by him. <laughs> also, he had a radio show in New York after his heyday, and I appeared on his radio show. We had a lot in common, of course, and Booker T, of course, and of course, Billy Preston, who just, I think, was a phenomenal entity on the planet. Yeah, I've, uh, I've come in contact with those guys, Steve Cropper and all of them, from time to time, yes. It's always been delightful. Um, yeah, no, it's and it's it's been delightful to talk to you. I, I feel like there's um, a few things that a few further things that that we didn't get to. But I, it's Halloween. I got to go take my kids trick or treating. Is there a, a, a chance we can set up part two? Well, sure. At some point, yes. Um, should I just? Uh, how should I connect with you? Well, the, the same way you did uh, today uh, with. Uh, Okay, wonderful. Yeah, I'll just, I will, uh, um, it was really an honor to talk to you, and, and I, you know, I, what is the best venue to see your band in? Uh, like, for instance, well, this, is a, this is a renovated, uh, this is a renovated old Fox Theater that you probably played in many times, so it's, you know, acoustically very beautiful, but, I mean, like, would a, would a bowling alley be, I mean, I, like, I, I want, like, some gut bucket places, too, but, I mean, where are you, where does your, your band sound the best? Well, my I don't play very often on, with my band. So, and whenever I do play, jazz festival is the best place for me and my band. But one thing during jazz first time, I had uh, five or six, well, six or seven horns because I like to arrange for horns, of course. My band consists of a normal rhythm section, uh, but no, I don't perform in New Orleans uh, very much at all. So, if you had any inkling of my schedule whenever I'm out on the road the few times that I do perform. Anyway, it's fine with me. What is, what do you, what is your, if, do you have a mission on this tour at all? I mean, is it, is it, do you, where do you, where do you, I mean, you continue to find inspiration living in the moment and creating music at all times. But, well, this is the yeah. This is a wonderful venture because these guys, the Preservation Hall Jazz Band, uh, on their own, they're just a dynamite representation of what they're doing. And for my music, is slightly different from theirs, but we, it's, you can definitely tell we're from the same era. So to bring these two uh, musics, I might say, together, I find it quite interesting. And I think, based on the audience, it must be a bit quite entertaining. <laughs> did, did you uh, did you play uh, with Mac Rebenack in the on the Night Tripper albums? Not during the Night Tripper albums. I I first produced him on Right Place, Wrong Time, and the Definitively Bonnaroo albums. Those are the two that I uh, I produced on him and played. Uh, TN, of course, a lot on them. A lot, but, yeah, uh, man. That, wait, the, <laughs> you just nailed but the, it. Uh, but the, the night trip and all that, I love those. That's, that's true, Mac himself. Yeah, what was your, what were you trying to, whatever you were trying to get across, I mean, right place, wrong time. Uh, I mean, can you, did that just pop into your head one day? Well, he wrote that song. Uh, I played the RMI, whatever, and the <laughs> piano, most of the things. 
No, that was his song. He wrote that himself. He's a very fine writer. Very good. Uh, we had a wonderful time, and I used the meters, of course, as a rhythm section. And uh, one of my favorite horn players, Gary Brown, on tenor saxophone, and uh, some horns from Miami, in fact, because we went down there to do much of that. Who? Uh, so, yeah. I, so, Mac himself, uh, Dr. John, wrote that song and wrote most of all, of, not all of them, but most of the songs on the album. Oh, man, that is just fantastic. Well, I mean, I, would you consider one of the great highlights of, 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 of your career? What's that? The, the, that, that? That pocket right there, that early... Se- oh, yeah. The yeah. early 70s, man, I wasn't even born. But the early 70s, right. the early 70s to me seems like that was the pocket right there. It, it was at the best time in, in music, really. Well, thank you. We certainly felt good about it. <laughs> really no, because I, what I'm trying to do is just bridge that gap, all you cats, yeah. to pr- promote this stuff. It's not about preservation, it's about promotion, you know. And okay. it, the promotion of values, of leadership, and, and, and to... And you to, certainly seem to have a heart for this music. Well, actually, it's more about, I mean, if you if you saw my website and you saw, I mean, and you saw the, the list of characters, I've done 400, I interviewed Bill Cosby last week. All right. You know, and so I'm cooking right now, man. Like, I'm trying to put, like, I really, like, I just want to get to as many cats. Like, I've gotten to Booker T twice, and Billy Cobham is reaching out to me. I mean, things are starting to really grow, man, and I just, I, it's funny, I've really tried to, you are a hard guy to get a hold of, man. Your 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 assistant does a darn good job. Let me, let me tell you. I think she said you. Well, she, she, she's I'm your glad. daughter, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. She does because, uh, but it is. I, I want to do a part two with you. Do you think you're going to be? Are you going to be on the road? I feel like you're on the road this whole month. Oh yeah, until uh, uh, early November. Okay, so we'll. Well, con- uh, well, yeah. well, this is already early November. All right, so I'll, I'll I'll connect with her again. Uh, you know, yes. I'd like to do it before the new year, though, if possible. Well, so would I. Yeah, it was an honor, sir. Happy Halloween, man. Thank you. All right, talk to you soon. Bye bye.